We're in the last week of Galatians, and it's been a great series. Uh, The book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians just seems to transcend time and place. The issues that we see present within this church, within the letter to this church, are issues and concerns that we're dealing with to this very present day in, in God's people, in God's church. And so it just transcends times. There's lots of information that's good for us inside of this. The problem that Paul has been addressing and continues to address address in this letter is, is the problem with understanding the gospel, that there are people who are sabotaging the grace and the freedom that was brought to us as believers by the gift of grace. We were made right by God, by grace, in our faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's a group of people who are trying to add to this simple and beautiful message. They're coming here and preaching a circumcision. They're, they're trying to bring people back under the yoke of the law. And Paul just says, no, that's not what we're going to do here. And he's going to speak and illustrate against the perversions of teaching a gospel other than the one that was inspired in him. And he's going to ultimately say, hey, there's condemnation for those who teach a gospel other than in grace alone, in faith alone, by Christ alone. And so Paul emphatically is defending the gospel, reminding us of what makes us right. And when we are made right by God because of that gospel, what Paul has gone on to say is like we get a new heart, we get a new spirit. We are driven by different desires than what we were in the past. The transaction that God made on the cross in Christ was meaningful. He has broken down every barrier between God and man for a right relationship with God. Everything's been removed between us and God except for our desire. He's accomplished much for us. And so, listen, when Christ died, I want you to understand this. When Christ died, he set a new standard. It's not about the external anymore. It's not about effort. If we would look at the temple in in the Old Testament, the temple before Christ came, there was this room called the Holy of Holies. And that literally was, was where the presence of God lived on earth. And that small room, that's where God's presence was. And immediately after Jesus' death, there was a curtain that separates the Holy of Holies that that only a high priest would come into that room one time a year. There's a veil, a curtain that separates that room from everything else. Immediately after Christ's death, that veil, that curtain is ripped from the top down supernaturally, symbolizing this. God no longer lives in buildings. He no longer lives in temples. He no longer lives in tabernacles. But he rests in the hearts and the minds by his spirit and those who trust and profess in his name. And so it's not about the external that makes us holy. We are made holy. We are set apart because of the indwelling of the spirit. We are set apart holy because of the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. It's never about our actions. It's always about our hearts. And so the book of Galatians has been concerned with getting right what has made us right and keeps us right. Grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone. Nothing else. Because look, when you understand that equation, you you know this, you don't deserve it. Like, I could never earn that. There's nothing that I could ever earn that Jesus Christ has done for me. He gave it to me. He gave me his righteousness as a gift. He gave me his perfection as a gift. And that that righteousness, that perfection, that gift changes our hearts. The Spirit changes our hearts. It changes our desires. God said, I love you so much. I know you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. Despite your sin, despite your disobedience, I'm going to do this for you. And as soon as we take our eyes off that message, this is what Paul wants us to understand. If we take our eyes off what made us right, off the gospel, off the cross, we change our motivation. If this is about effort, it changes our motivation entirely. But if it's about what Christ has done for us, it changes the desires of our heart because we know we couldn't earn it. 
and we move ourselves into love for what he's done for us. And so Paul says there is, friend, no other gospel in which you can be saved by. This is the gospel that Christ has inspired in me. This is the gospel that changed my life. And so he spends a good chunk of that time kind of breaking down what the gospel means and where that gospel should intersect our lives. And then we expounded and, and brought context to words like grace and the law. What do those things mean? And then last week we painted this kind of picture of what Christian freedom means. What does it mean to walk in freedom because of Christ? What did he deliver us from? And how are we to strive for wholeness, for, for life inside of the freedom that he affords us? And so today what we read is we find Paul trailing into these kind of practicalities of spirit-filled living. What life has been redefined to be because of the Spirit. How the Spirit helps us to interact with people. And so Paul is going to take spirit-filled living into relationships. That there is a kind of relationship with people that should be produced by the Spirit. How do we relate to each other as new creations in Christ? And so we're going to read chapter 6 together. I'm going to include a couple verses in chapter 5. Many commentary theologians believe that the last two verses in chapter 5 should be the first two verses in chapter 6. And I think there's probably some good merit to that because it leads to a, a really a complete understanding of this verse. Because if we didn't have these verses in the beginning here, this would just feel like a list of proverbs, a list of good things to do. But I think these first two verses bring some wholeness to it. So let's read this together. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will also, he will also reap. For the one who sows... To his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. And so for the most part in the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, Paul has been kind of edifying good doctrine. He's kind of been fighting for everybody to get on the same page doctrinally on what the gospel is, but he's also using the message of the gospel as a unifying force to bring people together. Least we all bite and devour each other. He's trying to bring people together under this heading of the gospel, right understanding of the gospel. And in this last chapter, he's going to fuse these two ideas together that we have unity with one another because of right understanding of the gospel. And inside of that reality, there is a type of relationship that should be present in those who live by the Spirit. And we're going to lean on some verbiage today from a pastor named Tim Keller, who's done a lot of extensive work on Galatians 6. Um, So lots of good things for us here, I think, I believe. Uh, So Paul says in in the first part of this Galatians, he says, 
that we should not be conceited. Don't let your work come from conceit or, or provoking each other or envying each other. And Paul sees this as a fundamental heart condition of you and I. This issue of conceit, provoking, and envying is a fundamental heart condition that needs to be resisted at the behavioral level. And later, Paul is going to write about how it is solved at the identity level. And so we're going to walk into this behavioral resistance that we need to have. If we look at that verse in chapter 5 and 26, it says that we should not become conceited. Well, conceited in in this text means something different than we uh, contrive it to be in our own language. Conceit comes from a different word in Greek. It comes from uh, a word called kenodoxos. Kenodoxos simply translates literally into empty of glory. And what the the great commentary writer F.F. Bruce would say about that is that what this verse infers to is that somebody who is desperate for their own affirmation, somebody who is desperate for their own recognition, that you're desperate to prove yourself amongst others, you're desperate to prove your worth. And so it kind of reads, let us not be people who are personal glory seekers. Let us not be people who are personal affirmation seekers. The problem for us is this is a natural desire in us. This need for affirmation, this need for validation, it's carried in our hearts. It's, it's at our heart level, at that inner emotional, intellectual, moral center. We're wired to be affirmed. We just are. It goes along with that, uh, that sign that we, we, say, we have on our, on our chest, that invisible sign that says, make me feel loved. There is a fundamental need that we have in life because of the way that God has wired us to be affirmed. And, and for many eons, we, we had that. When we walked in the garden, we did two, say, two things to God. We served God and we worshiped him. We served and worshiped him. And we were completely validated, completely affirmed inside of that relationship. It was amazing, delighted in both parties, God and man. And then the chaos ensues. The cosmos are broken. And we took that desire to be affirmed and we misappropriated it to somebody else, to something else, to somebody else. And this is what Paul says about that in Romans one. He says this in Romans 1, 24 through 25. He says, therefore, talking about us, that God gave them up to their lu- the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so what this verse implies to us is that you were designed to do two things, to serve God and to worship God. Every part of you is designed to serve and worship God. And in doing that, every part of you is is to be affirmed and validated by the Father. That's where your heart cry is. We all have this cavity in us that longs for our Father to say these words to us. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. We had it in the garden. We're going to have it in eternity someday. The Lord promises us that those who are faithful in service to the Lord, that when we get to heaven in glory, that he's going to look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so we have this desire to be appreciated, to be affirmed. It's innate within us. But we have misappropriated it on where we fill that cavity. We have a cavity. It's not filled the way it used to be. And so because of that cavity, we go out and try to fill it at everybody else's expense. We go out and try to affirm ourselves at everybody else's expense. So that means inside of our relationships, instead of serving people through love, what do we do? We use people for our benefits. We, we use them. It, it becomes about how 
can you help me feel better? How can you make me feel important? And we go into relationships, as, as Paul says, aggressively, provoking each other, competing with each other out of envy. Like, where do I stand? I'm more important than that guy. I'm better than that guy. Oh, I need to catch up with that guy. This constant competition because we're just trying to fill this cavity of affirmation that we had with the Father. Trying to fill that void. And so what Galatians 6 wants to speak to us is how behaviorally to resist that condition. In verses 1 through 5, Paul talks about several kind of outputs, several attitudes that we need to have as spirit-led believers. Uh, he says that we are to restore each other. If anybody's caught in sin, we're to restore each other, that we're, that we're not to think too much of ourselves to be restored, right? That's implied in that. That we would bear one another's burdens, that, that we would concern ourselves with our own load, right, first, and that we would understand that we're going we're gonna to reap what we sow. And those are behavioral things that, 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 that Paul is pushing to help resist it on this selfish attitudes for, for affirmation. And so let's break that down a little bit. Uh, Paul says that if a brother is in transgression, you who are spiritual should go with a spirit of gentleness and restore them. Be careful, though. Keep, keep watch of yourself, lest you too be tempted. And when he says that you be tempted, he, not, he doesn't mean like, that, hey, you're going to go into transgression and you're going to be tempted to be a part of that sin. What he's saying not to be tempted is into self-righteousness, that you would not think more of yourself than you are. Don't get into this camp where you think that you're better than the person who walked into the sin. Restore them. And when he talks about somebody who's spiritual, it's not meaning that you have achieved some sort of a level of Christianity. There's not a level of spirituality here. You are either a spirit being by Christ or you're not. And so this is for all of us who are Christians that we are to restore one another. That if somebody is in transgression and sin, that we should go to them in gentleness. And when we talk about someone, that someone is somebody who believes in Christ, that professes Christ as truth. Because if, if somebody is not a Christian, what are you going to restore them to? They don't have a standard, right? And so with a non-Christian, we, we pray, we love, we show our light before them, our hope before them, that they may see our good works and give credit to our Father, that we, that we would hope that they would come to know the saving grace of our Lord. But for the Christian, we're to restore each other with gentleness. And look, this is hard. There, there's so much fear in this kind of lifestyle today because everybody's afraid of being judged. Nobody wants to be the guy that, oh, they're going to just think I'm going to judge them. But look, the Lord has said to us that we're to keep each other in our boundaries with gentleness, respect, that we're going to say, hey, I love you that much that I'm going to, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, what's going on here? You say you believe in the Lord. I see this going on in your life. How are you doing? He says that if we would have the right attitude, the right perspective of our lives, understanding of who we are, that we can walk into those relationships as servants, not needing anything from them in return, that we just get to serve them as ourselves, that if we would humble ourselves and, and, and not be self-righteous, if we would invite the proper attitudes in our life, we can serve them. But this is hard. If we're not leaning into the Spirit, what we are, we're, we're conceited glory seekers. And you look at somebody who is caught in sin or in a transgression, and you're like, ain't nobody got time for that. I'm not walking into that mess. I'm going to serve in that. 
We, we do this cost analysis on relationships to think like, am I going to get as much out of that relationship as I'm going to put into it? Are, are they going to give me life? Are they going to connect me to new people that I'm going to get to know? How are they going to serve me into this relationship? This is the danger that Paul is warning us about. And look, that could even mean this, that you walk into that relationship with somebody who's got some messy parts in their life, that you walk into that relationship so you feel needed. I mean, we see this all the time, an enabler. We call these enablers. Somebody who's constantly rescuing somebody but doesn't necessarily want them to get better. They just like to be needed. I just, I'm going to swoop in and rescue you, so I, 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 as long as you're dependent on me, I feel needed. And sometimes we just get so focused on our linear path in life, our goals and our future, that it's like, I'm not going to look at anybody to my right or my left. I'm just going to stay focused on, on me. But Paul is saying that, look, that's not what God has for us. It's not what he has for me, that we are called to be restorers, burden bearers. That at the behavior level, we would reject this idea that kind of has a tenacity to, to lead us to, to disconnect from people and serve our own selves. Like the Lord says that's not spirit-filled. That comes out of our flesh. Like we are to walk in, in burden-bearing, to, to carry one another's burdens. And that simply means this. The metaphor is this. Like if somebody's carrying 100 pounds and you come into life to bear their burdens, you carry 50, right? Each carry his own load. You don't carry more than you should, and then the person carries their appropriate amount. You carry your own load. And you got four people, and then you got 25. Think you got 50 people helping that person. You got two pounds apiece. We share that load with one another. This is a communal faith. So much of the time we preach this as a personal gospel. It is a personal gospel, but this isn't about myself. We have eons and eons of believers who were in community together, lived as a we and an us, not an I and a me. And so we are burden carriers for one another. We lift each other up. And what keeps us from walking into those relationships is the weight of the sacrifice that we have to make for them. We don't walk into relationships and burden ourselves with things because we see it being too much to carry. Like, we, like we have to know, like, when we define that we're going to be burden carriers, it actually means that we're going to carry a burden. Like, you're going to carry a burden. You're going to be sacrificing for this. So often we look into messy relationships and we think, well, what can I afford to give? What can I afford to give? And we don't give more than what we believe that we can afford to give. We carry burdens not because we can afford to, but because we're called to. And look, that doesn't mean that you don't admonish people or be truthful with people. It's just not like this is a give all. I'm all my pockets. I don't have anything left. And you have to be truthful with people. The Lord doesn't allow for laziness is not a quality that the Lord edifies. But we carry other people's burdens. And so Paul says that this, this is the attitude and the perspective that we need to have. This is right thinking about yourself, that you get to move yourself into relationships as a servant, not a glory hound, not needing anything. Paul's recognizing there is another way in relationships that's not leaning into the flesh. We want to feed our flesh. What sin wants us to do is feed this idea of narcissism, this perspective and outlook of life that is selfish, it's all about me, it surrounds me, it's about me, but that's not what the Spirit calls us into being. Your flesh wants you to lean into this idea. My, your life for me. Your life for me. Give me. Give me what I need. We, we treat people as their 
that they are means to our own ends, meaning that we use people to feel better about ourselves, to feel more important about ourselves. We gauge people on what they give to us. Are you going to give me anything? Then I'm not really going to get into that relationship with you. But what Christ shows us in Scripture, what the Spirit pushes into our heart is something completely different. And I'm telling you, it is completely radical. The message of the cross is not your life for me. The message of Christ on earth was not your life for me. He's not edifying that narrative. God's message in the cross is my life for you. It's my life for you. That is the central message of hope. God said, my life for you. And he is calling us to live in that same lifestyle that we would say to others, my life for you. Because God set aside all of his glory, all of his honor, all of his esteem. He took the form of a servant in the form of a human being named Christ. He humiliated himself. He became a man, a child, a baby, so that he, he could give you his life, my life for you. He went to that extreme, and he's asked us, by the power of his spirit, to live the same way, my life for you. Galatians 6 says that there's a different way in relationships for one another because of the Spirit. And Paul says, if anyone in here thinks that there's something more than they are, then they're deceived. I mean, this is just blunt language from Paul. He's just, he's good at this. If you think you're good, then I'm just going to tell you you're nothing. You're nothing. What glory are you going to surround yourself in? What are you affirming yourself in? Because without the gospel, what, what are we? We're doomed, we're destroyed, we're, we're wrecked. What substance do we have to boast in? Boast in? And, and God's not like demeaning human value. He loves his creation. Oh, loves his creation. But he's just saying like, look, man, you got to get a clue here. I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. I've made you worthy. We shouldn't ele elevate ourselves above him, Christ first. And so Christ, in, in, in the Gospels, if we read the Gospels, and we're going to head into the next series, is the Gospel of Mark. But if we read the Gospel, we see Christ living spirit-filled life at his ultimate. Christ exemplifies what spirit-filled living looks like. And that, those Gospels are full of stories of my life for you. They're full of examples of my life for you. He's feeding the right spirit. And look, when we feed the right spirit, we talked about this last, those two wolves that kind of are in us, the flesh and the spirit. When we feed the right spirit, what does it produce in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. No law against those things. Spirit-filled living as we daily choose to wear Christ, to choose Christ, to not lean into the flesh, it produces those kind of fruits. And so, listen, if we walk into relationships with that internal manner, what could somebody give us that we don't already have? What could you possibly give to me that is not already met in the Father? What could you possibly give to me that isn't being developed in me by the Spirit? And so it allows us to not look for external validation, but to have peace because of our internal validation and affirmation from the Father as we walk and obey that voice, that spirit inside of us. And then Paul, I love Paul, he gives, he gives just really good principles. I think this next one should be some sort of physics law 
Uh, he says, you're going to reap what you sow. Like, whatever you plant, whatever you're going to invest in this life, like, look, you're going to reap that. That's what you're going to harvest. You're going to harvest what you plant. Outside of grace for our sin, right? We don't deserve grace. We've planted disobedience, but we got grace. Outside of that reality in God, you will harvest what you plant. You'll harvest what you plant. And, and, and Paul cautions us before he gives us this scientific principle. He says, don't be fooled. God's not going to be mocked. Like the Lord is not going to be mocked. He knows your heart. Like he knows your intent in this. That's what he's concerned about. That's why he died on the cross. It wasn't for your works. It was for your heart. He said, don't mock God. Like he knows what reality you're walking in. And a, a your life for me kind of reality is not what he has for us. He's not going to stand for that. And you're going to get what you sow. You're going to get what you invest into other people's lives. And then he says, let us not grow weary of doing good. And sometimes we, we grow weary, don't we, of trying to do good. We don't grow weary because it's worth it, because of what he's done for us. And look, yes, let's be honest. If we live spirit-filled lives, if we're leaning into those voice that that spirit inside of us look it's going to cost you it is going to cost you worldly accolades you are not going to get ahead in the world like you might hope to you're not going to get the esteem in this world that you might want to it may mean that you're not going to get the salary that you want to it may mean that you may even be fired from your job because you choose to walk by the spirit but what was what does paul remind us that if we do these things we will reap in God's season, a harvest. We always want things here. We want affirmation here. We want validation here. But we have to remember that God will give us a harvest that's not necessarily about this world, but we have a life that is to come after this one that is of greater value than this one. This is a mere rehearsal for the life that is to come. And, and the Lord would say that the substance and the things of this world are, are dull and dimly compared to what I got for you in this next life. And so we walk into this knowing that the Lord's going to give to us what is rightly ours because of what we sowed. Maybe not on this world, maybe not on this earth, but he has promised us and he is faithful to keep his promises that we will reap a harvest for this one day. And so this is a behavioral idea that Paul is saying that I want you to, to fight against this glory hound mentality by humbling yourself and restoring one another, being in, in relationship with each other, bearing each other's burdens, focusing on your own load instead of trying to judge everybody else's load. And then Paul's going to attack this heart condition of needing affirmation at the identity level here in the last part of Galatians. This is what he says starting in verse 11. I love, he gets our attention. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you this. If you're writing a note to your spouse or your child, the larger the letters you're writing in, the more you want them to get <laughs> focused on what you're trying to say here. So Paul's saying, look, I'm, this is big cursive here. I'm writing you into my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in the order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So there are people out here that just want to look good they, they want to fit in, and they just don't want to be persecuted because they actually believe in Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Glory hounds. Look what I did. Look at this guy. I got him to change. 
but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And so Paul ends and concludes kind of six with this idea of, of what you choose to boast in will ultimately define your life here. What you desire and to boast in will determine your reality here and in the next one. And so this idea of boast is an important idea because it's written about a lot in scriptures, boasting. We think of boasting in, in a way of like, hey, look at me, look at what I can do. But, but boasting in, in, in its original format is a military term. Uh, you would see this in the Old Testament. Boasting is this kind of military pep talk. It, it would be like a, a commander coming in front of his soldiers and saying, all right, guys, look, these guys are brutal. They're tough, but they're not us. We've trained hard for this. We've got determination. They don't have the kind of weaponry that we have. There's no way that they're going to run this field today. We're going to get this. And everybody, yeah, we're going to do that. That's what I'm... It's like this sports pep talk, like, this is our time. Their time is over. It's our time now. And yeah, this is our time. You got it. Let's go. It's that kind of idea. That's a boast. And what Paul tells us is that we all boast in something. Every one of us boasts in something. We have something to boast in. And so at the theological level, at the psychological level, a boast is nothing more than what you identify yourself as. A, a boast has nothing more than establishing your identity. This is who I am. What do you look to that validates you? What do you look to that gives you strength? What do you look to that gives you confidence to face the things in front of you? And we're all going to boast in something. The prophet Jeremiah writes this. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his richness, riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. You will boast in whatever creates confidence and strength. You will boast in whatever creates confidence and strength. Everybody needs something to tell them that I can. We all need something that tells us that we can. Because when the chips are down, we will turn to what we boast in. When the tide turns on our lives, you will turn to what you boast in. And so we, we, we get trouble in life and we say, but, but I'm a good dad but I'm a good mom, like I'm smart, I'm this or I'm that. But what does the Lord remind us of? He says that our righteousness is of filthy rags. Like there's just holes in us. Like what do we have as substance to boast in? What do we have to boast in? The, the modern kind of self-esteem movement like, it's all about boasting in ourselves. And it's, it's not that it's bad terminology, but, but we're just to, you know, tell yourself you're beautiful. Over and, tell yourself you're beautiful. Tell yourself that you can do whatever you want to do. Boast in yourself. Boast in yourself. You can do these things. But that's not the message of Scripture. Time and time again, what does Paul, God, say? Over and over and over again, 
I boast in the cross. I boast in the cross and the cross alone. I boast in the cross and have no confidence in the flesh. This is what I boast in. We live in a world full of boast. But are we boasting about the wrong thing? And so to boast in the cross means this, that you understand what the cross affords you and what it took to get to the cross. That you would understand the sacrifice that God made to bring you back to him. That you would understand the reality that you get to live in now because of grace. That God would take your sin and take your punishment and take it on himself. That he would make you worthy and right before God. He would allow you to have God do this. <laughs> applaud you. You get the applause of God because of Christ, because of the cross. You get God being able to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because when God sees us, he doesn't see us. He sees his son in us who died for us, who made us worthy. All that we have that is right in us was given to us by God. All of our identity is defined by the cross. We are nothing, but in him we were made everything that we might serve all of those who interact with us the way that Christ served us. We could become everything that he was to everyone else. And so we boast in the cross, in the cross alone. This is who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I can't. He can. I don't know, but he does. I can't figure this out, but he will. I don't know if we're going to get over this, but he, he's going to do it for us. We would boast in the cross and nothing else. And if we do that, Paul is saying that this is an identity passage for you. It changes your identity. Because you don't lean, I'm a good father, I'm good this, I'm good this. I'm God's. And that changes our hearts. And it allows us to walk into relationships with each other because we lean on the Spirit in a my life for you manner instead of your life for me. The Spirit redefines our relationships. It's up to us and our desire to feed the right one, the selfish one or the servant one. That's where Paul wants us to go today. And so I, I want you to remember this as we head into this time of communion today where we come around the Lord's table and remember the sacrifice that Christ has made for us, the blood that's represented by the juice that covers our sin, the, the, the broken body of Christ that is represented by the bread that you would remember what you get to boast in because of Jesus. The identity that was given to you. The kind of lifestyle that we get to live now because he fills everything that we need. We are fully validated. Not in perfect, not in full yet, when we're in glory someday, but in part. You're always going to have that need to find affirmation. You get to choose what desire you lead into. And so remember that today as we enter the cross, what Christ affords us. And maybe you're in here today and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ in your life and you've been on the fence and I would just say to you this, look, there's never a better time than today. The gospel of Christ says that you can't. It says that you're stuck in your sin, that you deserve punishment of hell. Jesus Christ on the cross took all that wrath, all that punishment, poured it on himself, died and was raised again so that you could walk in the newness of life by grace 
in your faith in him. And so maybe today is the time for you to make that decision. And so we want you to join us around the table. If you're in here and you say, I just have questions about belief. I, I don't know if I believe that, then I love that. But just know that this is a time for family uh, around the table of God. You can just sit there and reflect on those things. The Lord ask us to search our hearts before we take communion and make sure that we're right with him. And so take some time here today to make your, your heart right with God, to talk to God about maybe some of the things that we talked about today. The band's going to come out here in just a moment as I'm going to pray. And whenever you're ready, uh, join us at the table. And then afterwards, Caleb's going to come up and just kind of applaud our graduates. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today. And uh, we thank you for our identity, what we get to boast in, in the cross. And so, Lord, will you help us to make active choices in our life to lean our desire into following you and your spirit. That we would see our lives not as this selfish, vainglorious type of thing where people give stuff to us, but Lord, that you would enable us by your spirit because we are so thoroughly loved and delighted in by you, that you would, you would help us get to that place that we could just give ourselves away because we have all that we need in you. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you do for us. And we thank you for the realities that you're trying to push us into. You never let us stay the same. And we praise you for that. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.